and welcome to another episode of Block Talk presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review while you're there. It's 2022, and in this new year, there's a new way to help support the podcast and keep the show going. Buy Me a Coffee is an incredible new platform where you, the loyal Block Talk audience, can say thank you to your favorite host. All you have to do is show your support with a few taps by leaving a little tip that's just like buying me a cup of coffee. And the great thing is, you don't even need to create an account. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash blocktalk and keep Block Talk going like a strong cup of coffee. And as always, follow me on Instagram at michaelblocktalk, on Twitter at blocktalknyc, and visit theaterthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. She sings her heart out all over NYC, and now she's a glam nominee. Say hey, it's JWB. Hello. Hey. How are you? I'm great. How are you, baby? I'm hanging in there. The cold weather and my old age, not a great combo right now, but we're, we're making it through. We're making it through. I can definitely relate as a melanated Black Latinx human being that the cold is not what I was meant to experience in my life, but mm-hmm. I'm being adaptable, and I'm pushing yeah. through. Don't call me Elsa. The cold is bothering me all the time. All the time. Yes. Damn. Well, first off, congrats on your glam nomination. Thank you. Thank you. Congrats on yours. Thank you. We'll talk about it more specifically because I think it was, it's kind of important in your category. Um, it's yeah. kind of new and different. So we're going to get to it. But are, are you ready? Do you have a look prepared? What, what will she be wearing? I do, but I don't know if I'm solidified in it yet. I'm going to be, okay, it's, okay. it's very naked. Ooh, it's okay. the most naked I've ever been in my entire career. So I think it's enough to give like the girls a whirl. And I think the dolls will, will like have a time with it. Yeah, But I'm not used to being like held together by tape. I'm used to like a see-through moment or something, you know what I mean? But this is like cut out everywhere and Ooh. very little fabric. I'm here for I it. I think I'm ready. So it pro- I think the look is chosen. I think the look is I'm, chosen. I'm here for it. Yeah, I got my look mostly together. I still need a couple pieces to it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I decided this year, in the past, I've worn like suit jackets, like even like kind of crazy, like sparkly, whatever. This year, I'm like, I'm going to go bold. You're going to see me. I'm oh. going to reflect. I have a silver moto jacket as my main. Oh, element. I love that it's a moto jacket. Uh huh. And then I have an iridescent harness. So I'm ready to go. I'm, oh, I'm like, exciting. y'all gonna see me and someone's going to propose to me by the end of the night because I'll be so amazing and an award winner, maybe. Probably not. I know that's right. <laughs> we'll see. Lady, boys and Lady Bunny, monkeys. Lady Bunny, Money Exchange, congrats on your. Um, <laughs> public vote i'm gonna piss you at it forever i know they're gonna win it's not fair but it's what it is what it is it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. we're not all we'll, yeah we're, you, you'll you'll all hear me stop talking about it soon once this is over but <laughs> let's talk about you we're here to talk about you and we always we have to start at the beginning where are you from i was born in connecticut and i grew up in puerto rico all right interesting um transition from 
Connecticut to Puerto Rico. What, why um, Puerto Rico? What was in Puerto Rico for you? I landed in Puerto Rico because my grandmother got really sick and my mom fled Connecticut to go take care of her and she just never got better. So we ended up kind of just staying there. I moved there when I was four and then I moved back to Connecticut when I was 15 because my mom passed away when I was 14, moved with my dad. And that's kind of where I went to the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts found my way through theater as healing. And then I was like, I'll go to college for theater because why would I go to college for anything else? And I went Absolutely. to Maryland. Now, what was like, like growing up in Puerto Rico? You know, I came to this discovery when I started um, like writing my cabaret shows that I grew up a lot more impoverished than I realized. My mom did a really good job of creating such a nurturing environment for me and ensuring that I would be okay and cradled and loved, that it was kind of a realization later in life that, oh, I only ever bought one pair of shoes a year if they weren't school shoes, or I spent the majority of my life playing imaginary games with my friends because everyone else stateside had computers and cell phones, but I didn't. So growing up in Puerto Rico was really interesting because it was a grounding experience. I went to private school because in public school, girls were shanking other girls in fourth grade and my mom was having none of it. Um, so I went to private school and sometimes that like blows people's mind like, you went to private school? And I'm like, yeah, but it like wasn't really glamorous. It's like everyone goes to private school in Puerto Rico. It's like not weird. Yeah. So that was great, but there wasn't a lot of representation of queerness that I got to realize um mostly because it's such a catholic state and there's so much machismo and there's like a lot of like softness in latin culture a lot of like romance but I mean my experiences were still coming from american television and all those cultural aspects so I sometimes realize later in life that I have a lot more of an immigrant mentality than I thought I did because everyone's like oh well you're a U.S. citizen and blah 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 but the truth of the matter is living on a small island in the middle of the Caribbean is an incredibly different experience from being in Connecticut or New York or you know fully yeah I mean there there's a stereotype of Connecticut always uh being wealthy white people yes and you know what I grew up in the hood I grew up in Hartford Connecticut off the Flatbush exit and that was a culture shock because like poverty and uh, economic status looks different stateside than it looks in Puerto Rico. So, you know, even then I didn't realize certain economic things or like communities, I met all these different people. This is a really cool thing about growing up in Puerto Rico is there's a lot of colorism, duh. But the other thing is everyone there for the most part is aware that they're Puerto Rican. whatever, Whatever which way you cut the pie, we're Puerto Rican. So the culture shocks of like meeting so many people from different parts of this earth was mind boggling to me. When I moved to Connecticut, I went to Weaver High School before I went to performing arts high school. Um, And it's a predominantly West Indian Caribbean space. And I never had experiences with anyone who was really West Indian before. So that was really interesting too, to just kind of have these parallel experiences of, I don't know, identity and culture and race. It was just really, it's really fascinating situation. Now in school, uh, predominantly speaking Spanish, English, both, how how was it for you? In Puerto Rico? Yeah. Um, Well, because I went to private school, everyone learned English. And in Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, most people know English because 
of the you can literally get a degree in tourism in Puerto Rico. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of kids opt to go to college for like tourism degrees so they can like run hotels or I'm here for that. Like it's really kind of interesting. And I didn't realize until I went back maybe four or five years ago and I was like oh so this is what my friends were going to college for or like prepping to go to college for so predominantly English like it's a good healthy mix unless you're not in private school if you're in public school they really don't care and there is a certain kind of uh, anti-establishment feel to not wanting to speak English in Puerto Rico because of the weight that so many Puerto Ricans kind of felt from the hand of the U.S. Sure. So it, that was interesting too. But I, I was speaking full sentences in English by the age of two. So I was, I learned Spanish when I was four. I didn't actually know Spanish when I got there. All right, interesting. Now, okay, you mentioned tourism. Let's say you open up your tourist company right now. Mm-hmm. Jay's PR experience, where are we going? What are we doing? Okay, Jay's Prior Experience, Tourism. Uh, I'm bringing you to my favorite place in the world, which is Amsterdam. Okay. It's my favorite place I've ever traveled to. You would be welcomed with a nice, fresh pre-roll, Amsterdam style, and it would be something mm-hmm. called Strawberry Skittles. Every time I told people about Strawberry Skittles, it made me feel like a Polly Pocket or a Lisa Frank <laughs> painting. It was powerful shit. So to me, I'm, I'm, you're coming in with that. We are taking you around to certain areas. We're obviously going to the red light district, but specifically at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, I went okay. to the red light district at 10 p.m. and at 4 a.m. And it, I mean, 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. It's completely different experiences. I've okay. never seen so many naked trans women okay. being sought after by men in windows in my entire life but then when you were there at 10 p.m it was skinny white girls and it yeah. was i was like wow this is like crazy we'd have to go to this gay bar on the water it's called like the king or something like that amazing beautiful place yeah i'm taking you to amsterdam That'd all be right i'm here for it i'm here for it okay so you mentioned theater before we um, started the podcast, um, I always ask my guests a couple questions. And you had mentioned to me that uh, pop culture didn't really come to you until a little later. You, it was always a little bit delayed. How did theater come into your life? Theater came into my life because while I was at public school in Connecticut, there was an after school program. And it was for kids that wanted to be performers. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I, I want to be a singer. This is why I'm here. This is why I took my dad's offer to move to Connecticut. I'll stay after school. And I also was kind of unhappy in my home life. And this incredible woman, her name is Marcella Trowbridge. She runs a wonderful company called Art Farm in Middletown, Connecticut with her husband. And she got all these kids together. And she was like, well, let's talk about, like, what brings you guys together? Like, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And so we realized everyone between the ages of like 14 to 18 had suffered some kind of tremendous loss in their life, whether a parent or a friend or a cousin, it was so sad. And she was like, well, let's write a piece about loss. And so all these kids like came together from so many different backgrounds to write a piece about loss and gender and, you know, race. And it was really powerful 
And she said to me when we were done that session, because she only did one semester. And she said to me, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, this is amazing. Like I would do this forever if I could. And this is before I had any concept of theater. I was a sophomore. And she said to me, well, you know, you could go to college for theater. And I was like, pshaw, no way. And she said, no, no, yeah, I went to college for theater. And she talked to me about her experience. And I was like, well, I want to do this. And she's like, I think you can. So let's figure out a plan. She's been in my life for years. We've worked together after that. And shortly after that conversation, I got into the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts. And that's where I majored in acting and in theater. And I did like nine or 11 productions in one way or another while I was there in two years. And I was like, this is, this is what I, this is who I am. Theater is who I am. It's, it's the opposite story of Diana Morales in the course line. Opposite. Very opposite. (laughs) Where she's told no, and you're told yes, go do it. Literally. I'm like, "Mm, I'm feeling everything. (laughs) Hey, someone write the song. (laughs) I feel everything. (laughs) So obviously you want to be a performer. You want to be on stage. You want to be a singer. New York has to be the place. Were there any yes. other options? Carnegie. I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to Carnegie so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, you know, and here's the gag. And I think that this probably shocks a lot of people, but I didn't believe that I could do film or television because I never felt like I was pretty enough. Mm-hmm. Now I know that that is false, sure. uh, but pre-transition and a lot of the hangups that I felt and the things that like my dad made me feel about my self-esteem. I was like, you're not fucking pretty enough to be on TV or in film and no one's going to hire you to do that stuff. And like what you're absurd. So you have to go to New York because New York is where the girls with character and strong faces go. Absolutely. And I can't help but think about like one of my, one of my reigning Queens, Cheetah Rivera. She means everything to me. And I'm like, well, Chia can do it. She's Puerto Rican. She's got a strong face. She's got a great personality. She's talented. Then I'll just go to New York and I'll focus on theater. Other than that, I really didn't want to be in any other city. So Marymount Manhattan, what was the experience like? You know, I had a really opposite experience from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I feel like people tend to have really negative experiences there or they'll talk about negative experiences. I had a fine time. Um, I was really cradled by some of my professors. They saw potential in me and I worked really hard while I was there. Not to say that some of my peers didn't, but I didn't take no for an answer while I was there. So when I didn't get cast in a show one season, even though I know that they wanted to cast, the director wanted to cast me, I still turned around and I spoke to him and I said, well, I know you wanted me to be in your cast, but upper management said, no, um, can I be your assistant director? And on another show, I was a, uh, a dialect coach assistant. And to me, the ideas that came to my mind as an artist, I had extra hard for at Marymount because it was such a business experience. I really learned how to market myself and be a business person and find my material and make my networking connections. All the artistic stuff I've learned in my life, I predominantly learned in high school because the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts is the most magical place in the world. But I had a great time at Marymount. I learned really useful skills and I never felt like anything was owed to me while I was there. 
which is going to make me sound like, cancel me. But sometimes that's the energy that some of those kids have is like, well, I'm in this program and I deserve to be cast in something because I'm paying money like everybody else. It's like, no, 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 no. And I understand that there's sometimes preferential treatment. There's all these other things. But at the same time, like, why limit your experience? And this is kind of how I end up in nightlife is why limit your experience to this one two-dimensional thing that you feel is a solution to everything. You don't have to just be an actor and you don't just have to be in that production. There are other shoes to fill in every single piece. I, I, I also come from a theater background. I, my degree is in stage management. Now you'll never see me on stage. It's not going to be a thing. We, we don't do that. But as a stage manager, you have to know all the assets of a production. You need to know how to talk to an actor. You need to know how to talk to a director. You need to know how to talk to producers. So you put on all those hats. And I feel like there are a lot of actors out there who limit themselves to just wanting to be on stage and don't realize you got to learn all the elements to be a full rounded performer. Yes. The world really is your oyster as an artist. And I feel like sometimes our peers get so focused on this like specific goal and they don't realize that there are all these other side quests and missions that will make you better when you, when you reach that goal. My favorite thing that I kind of learned about stage managers is that like once directors off the gig, that stage manager is now the director until they decide to come back and spruce things up if they want to. So the respect that I have for people on the production end of things is so high. And I don't think that I would have the same appreciation for it if I didn't allow myself the space to explore any and every option as an artist in theater. Absolutely. Now, did you focus mostly on musical theater or uh, straight acting as well? So my background initially was in straight acting. Mm. And then when I was at Marymount, I went for musical theater. And I kind of like tried to play my cards when I was auditioning for college because I knew I was queer. I knew I was Black. I knew I was Latin. I knew I was like shorter. So this is obviously pre-transition. So like I knew I was shorter. Um, I knew I I didn't have like this perfect body, even though now I know that it's gender dysphoria. Um, but I said, what do I have that like no other person coming into a room is going to have? And I was like, okay, well, my personality, my light, and my ability to be a singer. So I decided to audition for like predominantly musical theater programs because I knew that I was a great actor. I was like, that's not the thing that I need to really fully work on right now. But I do have this tool that I haven't worked on as formally So I should probably try and get into a musical theater program so I can train some of those things. This is me thinking at like 17, 18, being like, okay, what is your business? What is that? Right, and and there there are 17, 18 year olds who don't know anything about the world. So they they, they can't have that mindset and and they make the wrong decisions that will affect them the entire career. Forever. How did you find your voice? I took a year off of college. (laughs) That's truly, I remember Pat Simon, who is a mentor. I call her my white grandma. Um, She's the head of the musical, well, she was the head of the musical theater program at Marymount. And her and I have a really beautiful relationship. She said to me during my sophomore year of college, she's like, you can do anything with your voice. That's clear. You can sing jazz music, you can sing pop music, you can sing classic theater. That's not a problem. But what do you sound like? Because she kept having me saying like, okay, well, that sounds great. But like, 
show me something that makes you feel like this is what you sound like. And I was like, okay, well, I'll sing this. She was like, that doesn't sound like you. That just sounds like what you just, that just sounds like you appealing like, to the style. Sure. She was like, take some time and find your voice. So I took a year off from junior to senior year because I ran out of money. I paid for college through my mom's life insurance policy. And I did a uh, production assistant job for Richard Winkler for a show called You and I, I and You, actually, at 59E59. And I made such an impression on him that he raised $25,000 between him and Pat um, to go back to college so I could finish my senior year. And in that time off between junior and senior year, I spent at least four nights a week at Uncle Charlie's piano bar. And I made a connection with so many incredible piano players. And I sang such a breath of work while I was there getting hammered with the girls. Like I have friends there. I call it my watering hole. I've had friends there that I've known for six or seven years. Like my pianist Yaz, I met at Uncle Charlie's and we've been friends for six years. So it's kind of crazy. And so I always tell kids who are feeling frustrated about their voice or they feel like there's only one way to sing it or they're in this like collegiate mindset about their voice their vocals because we lose this individuality vocal individuality when we're going into these formal training settings i'm like go to a bar and sing a song yeah. cut it out go find your joy to sing and i feel like that's how i found my voice again is like i found the joy of singing again by just sounding like me and enjoying it as opposed to feeling like I had to sound like something specific. At Uncle Charlie's, what was the song you sang that you felt there, you were present? Oh my God, okay, first one was Take Me to Church by Hosier, which I never okay. sang. Okay. Um, and then it turned into Back to Black. Mm-hmm. And now- Coming for Sissy's gig. I know, coming for You know, I told her that I wanted to do an Amy Winehouse set for group therapy. And she was like, go ahead. Why are you even asking me? And I'm like, because you are the Amy Winehouse girl. Like I need to ask you permission. Um, And then the thing that I started to kind of get known for out in these streets is doing poor unfortunate souls, which the reason that I do it the way that I do it is because I got fucked up with Yaz one night at Uncle Charlie's. And I was like, I want to do poor unfortunate souls. And he was like, okay. And I did it that way that I do now all the time. And he just like looked at me at the end. He was like, you are literally insane. And you should do it like that every single time. And I was like, okay. And it's just kind of stuck. Listen, sometimes booze leads to the most artistic moments. Literally, yeah. But at that freedom and also like the support. I think like Sissy, speaking of Sissy Walken is one of the most important and integral people in my history as a singer because for a long time, I wasn't sharing my voice. When I got out of college, I felt really lost and I felt really undervalued in the world of theater. And I hadn't reached kind of like my transitional awareness yet. And Sissy was like, well, you should really post yourself singing more often and you should do a competition, which is how I ended up at Rock Bar Gays Got Singing. Um, And I was like, are you sure? Like, blah, blah. And Sissy was like, you have this incredible gift and you don't share it enough. And that's why people are so limited in knowing who you are. And I was like, okay, and I started doing it. And Sissy was really the catalyst for me really exploring my voice and jumping into nightlife the way that I did. 
Well, that was this is a good segue into it because we're getting into it anyway. You competed in, I believe, the first season of Gays Got Singing. Yes, he did. Tell us about that experience. It was interesting. I'm not a very competitive person. Mm-hmm. I truly want to go somewhere and have fun. So it was interesting to be a part of something where I kind of had to be competitive. And I don't think I ever was in the bottom. Maybe there was like one time I was in the bottom. Um, but the truth of the matter was like, I believe that if you carry yourself with the awareness that you are gifted and talented and you honor that and you work that, you'll be fine. So the whole time I was kind of like, well, this is fun. And the reason I got into it is because, um, why am I forgetting her name right now? I'm remembering her boy name, but not her real name. Um, her drag name. Clarice? Well, yeah, thank you. I was like, Miss Dubois um, reached out to me. I was like, oh, you should do the competition. And I was like, bitch, I haven't spoken to you in like a year and a half. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And she was like, come through, blah, blah, blah. It'll be a fun time. And it really was. And I made friends that I that I still feel connected to with from that first season of that. She's asked me back to be a judge multiple times. And also, like, that led to group therapy at Rock Bar. And Jason and everyone at Rock Bar giving me that opportunity. Because you win, like, a cabaret night. And I did a show called Fuck Being Friends. I wrote the show. And it was all about like how guys would be like, well, we can stay friends, and they never do. And how it makes you jaded. And then one day I became friends with someone I used to sleep with. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's actually not <laughs> that bad. And the bar made so much money that night, even though it was a holiday. Right. And Jason was terrified. He's like, oh, I don't know. Like if you should do it on that day, it's a holiday. And I was like, come on, just give me the date. Like, it's fine smashed it I made a lot of money and so three months three months went by and I was like hey Jason so um after fuck being friends I was thinking like maybe I could pitch you this show I have this idea I have and he was like yeah sure great love it love it love you just come by tell me when you want to do it and I was like okay so you know my opportunities that exactly the opportunities that I got from that competition made everything about the competition wonderful is there a, a number you performed in that competition that was your favorite? Actually, I would probably argue I did the man I love there mm-hmm. for like a mini set. And it was the first time I got to kind of write about my mom and how I felt like she maybe rushed to get married too soon. And how I've kind of just settled in this idea that like, I'm never going to get married and I'm never going to have a life partner. And sometimes that's okay, but I want to exist in this moment as if I was my mom who's like hoping she had this weird thing that she said, like, if I didn't have a kid by 30, I won't have kids. If I'm not married by 40, I won't get married. And so I, I really wanted to explore what it would be like to sing that song from the perspective of my mother at like 35 and hoping that something happens in the next five years. So to me, that felt really Speaking my language right now. I turned 35 in, a, in eight I'm days. Saying, bro. Eight days. Eight days. Oh, spicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. When it comes to music, who are some of your biggest inspirations? You know, I'm coming to terms with like Louis Armstrong. Okay. I, I was just talking to my- Legend. I was like, this is interesting. Like, I never really realized how much 
because someone told me they're like yo you sounded so much like louis armstrong when you did that growl thing and i was like huh because people will hear your influences sometimes before you'll know them yeah um so louis nina ella um i'd also say billy porter is up there alex newell who i got to see the other day and was wonderful um who else I mean, the list is just really long, it's, but it's also predominantly made up of jazz artists mm-hmm. like Sarah Vaughn and Nancy Wilson. These people who were allotted the space to have a range beyond what people wanted it to sound like right. and could claim music. My favorite thing about jazz music is like everyone's singing the same four songs, but everyone's singing them differently. Absolutely. And I now- think it, everyone should listen to more jazz music. <laughs> If you could do a duet with any recording artist, living or dead, who would it be and what would the song be? Oh, living or dead. Living or dead. Because your inspiration, not a lot of them are still alive now, but let's give you that chance. I like a lot of dead people. I like a lot of dead people. Living or dead. Okay, honestly, it'd have to be SZA. Like SZA is like the reason that I write music and the Mm -hmm. reason that like, recording music um, was an exciting thing for me. So it'd probably be SZA and it'd probably be a breakup song because she's really good at them. And that, and that yes, that's my final answer, SZA all day. All right. So when curating a set list for either a cabaret or, or group therapy or whatever, what is your thought process? What goes into the curation? First, I write down a ton of songs that I want to sing, mm-hmm. whether I know them or I don't. And then I categorize them into how many of them are similar or what exactly do I gain from singing them? And then I put them into an order, kind of like if I was to put out an album, what does that sure. set look like? Usually I do about 10 songs and then I take, I listen to the song and I work off of kind of like immediately what I feel about the song. And what I used to do, I haven't done it in a while, um, but it's always good to me is I have a notebook and I'll immediately start brainstorming based off of what the song gives me. And then I'll read it back mm-hmm. and then I'll set the next song. And it kind of just flows out of me after I, I usually go set list first and then I put my pattern between that list. And sometimes as the pattern is developing, I'm like, okay, well, that actually works better if I move this song over here and I flip this over there. I have some set lists that are like, like my Villains and Vixens set list, I wanted to sing Dangerous Woman by Ariana Grande and I never did. Yeah. So there's like a whole, sometimes there's like a set list with a theme and I'll have like a pop version of my set list and a theater version of my set list or a jazz version of my set list. Mm-hmm. Cause like there's so many different ways that that song can complement the pattern. But to sure. me, Yaz one time said to me, you're an incredible singer, but people also just want to sit there and listen to you tell stories because you're a great storyteller. And so I took that to heart and I really tried to focus more on how can I stitch together these songs that I want to sing that I think are important as opposed to just focusing on the songs. Absolutely. COVID took a toll on the entertainment industry and halted so much for so many of us in nightlife. How did that first wave of quarantine and lockdown affect you as an artist? It was awful uh, because I was just getting into 
the swing of things with group therapy at Rock Bar. Mm -hmm. And I felt really crushed. We had such an amazing time in uh, Christmas because we saved, we raised all this money for Joseph Machia's Cancer Foundation. Uh, and I took, and I decided to take like a month and a half off. And so right before I was about to have my next set, everything shut down. And I didn't really know what to do. And I did the virtual thing for that set because everyone kept asking me to do it. But nobody was actually enjoying those things. And when it comes to me as a performer, it's really hard for me to do the virtual thing because what I feel people really enjoy about being at my shows is like the back and forth and the fun energy of being in the space with me, the comedy of being in the space with me. And you can't really have that kind of audience banter through a screen. So I tried to find other ways to stay creative and positive. And that's how I ended up with Transtrenders. Uh, who was my label that I was with for a year and we put out wonderful music and we were featured in paper magazine. Um, And I ended up doing a bunch of podcasts and talking about body positivity and gender, self-confidence, your journey as an artist. I actually did so much in that first quarantine lockdown that sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough in the world. But even though it was really devastating for one specific aspect of myself, I tried to see what would keep the flame alive and allowed myself to limitlessly explore it, which kind of goes back to everything we were talking about earlier. What what did you learn about yourself as a person during while these live shows were gone? I learned that I, as a person, work too hard. I work too hard. I work too much. And other times I don't work enough when I'm working on something. I think too, I learned that I, well, technically right before uh, everything locked down, I was supposed to start my hormones and actually start hormone replacement therapy till after that first pandemic year or like halfway through it. And I'm a Calum Lord girl where the pretty girls go. And um, they had my appointment set in March before everything shut down. They were like, yeah, don't come in. And I was devastated. And in that first couple months of me, like not being able to go into my laser hair removal sessions and not being able to have my hormones and not getting dolled up for shows and things, these things that brought me so much joy as a trans girl, I had to come to terms with the fact that, hey, you're gonna continue to feel like shit if you keep waking up to this version of yourself that makes you unhappy. And I had to really make a decision to change that. And so I, they followed up with me. I was able to get on HRT a year after that. I had my first gender affirming surgery about a month ago. And these great, wonderful things have continued to happen. Oh, bitch, I got filler for the first time. Uh Uh-oh a year ago. And that changed my life. I learned to be to apply the open-mindedness that I have in my career to my personal relationship with myself and stop thinking that I have all the answers about who I am as a person. So back in August, Thodacy and Mr. Rockbar J. Saint presented a benefit called Completely for Your Affirming Surgeries. Tell us about this event. That event was one of the most emotional nights of my life. I remember being at my favorite chicken spot uptown. It's called the Chick Inn. 
plugging the chick in because I love that place. And I get a call from Sissy and she's like, okay, well, can you call me back? And I'm like, I'm, ha- I'm literally in a business meeting with Lance Horn right now. What is going on? And she's like, okay, well, I'm sending you something and I need to see your face when you get it. And it was a flyer for the event. And I just started weeping because I didn't know how I was going to do this. And night, there were so many people that I either knew personally or that I'd never met before performing or showing up for me, volunteering, providing things for raffles. And that night, it gave me an overwhelming sense of what my influence is and my reach and the love that I have shared and spread and how it comes across to people that I may not even know. And because to me, like, I feel like it comes really naturally to me. I'm not always aware of the fact that I'm doing it or what that feels like, what it looks like. And that night, I mean, first of all, the amount of money they raised between the GoFundMe and that night, nearly $4,200 or something like that. Incredible. And for me, as someone who grew up in poverty, to think that that much money was being directed at me for my greater good and my mental and spiritual emotional health was so overwhelming that it took me at least a week to really process that evening. What does it mean to have the community of friends and peers come together in your honor? You know, it is something that words will never be able to fully encompass because not everybody, I don't share how I struggle with people very transparently. I really have a small group of people I kind of, I'm like a, it's a big pet peeve of mine to jump on Facebook and like read how miserable my friends are. Sure. It's like not really my thing. So I try not to participate. Um, I rarely do. So to know that I have a community of people that like, whether they see me struggling in any way, shape or form or not, still came together because they wanted to see me happy and, and feel fully realized and the fact that there's people, I just ran into a friend of mine that I haven't seen in years, maybe three or four years. And he was like, congratulations on your surgery. And like, I can see it on your face, how much happier you are and how, how you, you glow with this inner confidence that you've always been confident, but it was just, it's different now. And I, I cry like a baby thinking about the fact that growing up, I didn't feel like I had a large net of people I really could lean on. And now I know that I genuinely, honestly, really do. I have an incredible community of people. And to know that someone's always going to catch me is something that I never thought I'd really get to have in my life, especially with the identities that I have. Never thought I'd have that, but I have that and I have more than that. And so now I realize the amount of responsibility that I have to the New York City nightlife leather um, community. And like people will say like, oh, well, you're this or you're that. And you mean so much to me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, bullshit. But then something like that happens and you're like, oh, people really do see me and they do see what I do. And 
it was just it was overwhelming it's overwhelming even talking about it now I can, I can imagine I mean I've obviously have not had this kind of experience but I, I uh, again watching from afar it's it's really beautiful because especially in this COVID time where we're all going through our own bullshit the fact that we can just take a moment away from ourselves and and be there and give it to someone else that's that that's the definition of community yeah it was powerful it was really powerful and I think that we sometimes lose sight of the word community but to me that night I felt a sense of community unlike anything I've ever felt in my entire life it was so special how has your experience in the entertainment scene changed since you started your transition has it been smooth sailing have you encountered any obstacles what advice would you give to someone else um, going through a transition in the entertainment field? You know, the thing about it is I have a really particular and privileged experience and I'm well aware of it. And so I try not to blind myself of it mm-hmm. um, and act like my struggle is like everybody else's struggle. It's not. I'm drop dead gorgeous. I'm light skin and I'm very, very talented. And I'm funny and I'm smart. They're like all these things that like, I look in the mirror and I can say as affirmations to myself. So to me, if anything, my transition aided my career because it allowed me to step into my greatness in a way that I wasn't allowing myself to prior to my transition. I think as advice to people, it would be don't allow this thing that people are going to tell you is a roadblock to be that roadblock. Allow yourself to step into your glory and your greatness and allow your identity, standing in it truly, to catapult that talent and really embrace it. I think I've worked more in my transition than I ever did before I transitioned. Mm. And part of that is that confidence and it's that ability to kind of take what I already had to the next level Because now I'm not thinking about, oh, am I being too effeminate? Oh, am I being too soft? Oh, am I doing this or am I doing that? No, 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 no. Everything about me is wonderful. Um, The roadblocks that I face have sometimes been a little more personal. I feel like people have started to sometimes see my sense of humor, which used to come off as like cute and gay, as like sassy and black, which is annoying uh to say the least because like not a lot about my personality has changed since my transition but because I'm now oftentimes unclockably perceived as a black or latin girl sometimes the things that I say just don't land the same way as when people perceive me differently so a lot of those things are unavoidable and they have more to do with other people's shit than my shit and Quite frankly, like, other than that, in terms of the entertainment industry, like, I don't know. I feel like what I had to learn to do is get out of my head and stop thinking that I can't audition for things. Like, I remember the first play that I got, it was for a cis girl. I didn't say they're looking for a trans girl. Like, I always be like, I need a trans role. Right. No, like, I just auditioned for it because I liked the role and everyone was starting to call me, like, you know, your type is, you're the hot bitchy friend. And I'm like, cool, I love that. I love the Regina George track. Um, so I just did it, but I had to learn to get out of my head and know that I deserved to audition for things that didn't pigeonhole me. Absolutely. 
Well, your confidence and hard work has paid off. You are nominated for a Glam Award this year for Best Vocalist. What is it like to be nominated in a class that's not made up of all drag artists? Honestly, bitch, I feel fire as hell. I got scared that I wasn't going to get nominated. Sure. And I was like, you know, and I don't like to campaign hard. Again, the competitive thing is not me. I was like, I'll just put it out there and like, see what happens. When I got nominated, let alone alongside some incredible vocalists from Nova Zara to Jasmine, like people I respect and I adore. Like I was, I was shocked, but it felt apropos to the amount of work that I've done in the last year. Mm-hmm. And having people coming up to me and saying like, you are one of the best vocalists I've ever seen. Or Sissy Walken likes to pitch me as like the best singer in New York, which I think is really funny. Um, so to me, like to be nominated just feels really validating as someone who has a theater background, but knows that like my roots are as a singer. And yeah. I can now feel really comfortable coming back to my foundation as a singer first. And it feels it felt amazing and validating and powerful to be in that incredible lineup of individuals i probably won't win because i don't think enough people know me to beat some of these other people but at the end of the day to get to celebrate any of them who wins is going to be a real honor because there's no one in that category who doesn't deserve to be there absolutely rock bar club coming the queue you've performed at a lot of venues any one that you would call your favorite or the one that makes you feel most alive Can I say the coolest experience in the world was singing at the Little Island Amphitheater? Yeah. That was dope because I sang Poor Unfortunate Souls, it's like Howard Ashman thing. And I hadn't gotten to sing in a venue that big in a long time. And the fact that I could still translate the things that I did at a small bar like Rock Bar to such a large space and, it ha- and have it land and really work made yeah. me feel so incredible. Um, and there was a time that I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow at Home at Cherries on Fire Island as the sun was setting with my friend on the cello. There you go. That was, oh my God, that was amazing. Right now in my life though, I still have to say that like seeing at Uncle Charlie's is my favorite place in the world. It seems like silly and it's like not completely related to me as a like paid performer, but because I get to go there and just like sing and not have it be a thing. I just, I love it. It's, it'll always be a home away from home for me. So you are part of the extraordinary lineup at the queue with Tuesdays at the queue. Tell us about the show. So Tuesdays is a really fun open mic night that we do, which is pretty different from other styles of uh, cabaret. But getting to host it, I'm still getting to flex a lot of the things that I normally do in my sets. Mm -hmm. So it's still a lot of fun. And I do it with Lance Horn, um, Joshua Roberts, and my friend Sean Murphy, who plays the bass. So we have like a small little band on stage and getting to give people the band experience 
than an incredible space like the Q Cabaret Room. It's always so fun. And people come there, they get hammered, no matter who's behind the bar. And one time this girl was singing Stevie Nicks, fully slipped off the stage, like face first into the ground, still popped up and finished her song. There you she go. did not care. Um, it's like, it's just a fun experience. And then also like our group of friends are so talented. So even for people who are scared and they don't feel like they can go up there and sing themselves, it's still a great night because you're getting so much entertainment from some of these incredible artists. Last night, a friend uh, who is too proud stopped in and a song, sang a song. So you really never know like who's gonna hop in and sing with us. Is there a song that you wish people would stop singing? Honestly, I'm sorry. The white people catalog is tired. <laughs> so anything from like Don't Stop Believing to Sweet Caroline, like they can all go for me. Okay. But you sense. know what it is though? You know what it is though? It's never that I'm tired of people singing them. It's that I'm tired of people not having the balls to do them how they want to do them. Okay, that's fair. All right. Because I can't stand it. How many times I have to hear y'all sing this song the exact same way so then That's maybe you need, a sh- you need a show called um, the White People Catalog and, and show them how to do it. <laughs> and show them how to sing their own music. I know that's right. Yeah. Maybe there I will. Go. Maybe that'll be my next There project. you go. <laughs> how has it been performing a live show in the age of COVID? It's been great. It's been great because people are just as excited to be there mm-hmm. and experience music and experience like live sets. This person had come in and she was like, you're the first live show that I've seen since COVID and she cried and she was like I recently got out of a breakup and a lot of the stuff that you set up there on the stage were like so powerful to me and you know I think that people are really hungry for the arts now a bar patron is a bar patron I'm not expecting anybody to give me their attention if they didn't plan on being there to give attention right but it's still been just as rewarding Regardless, I haven't really had many issues um, with ridiculous behavior post-COVID. Thank God. That's good. All right, we're going to play a game. It's called This or That. I'm going to give you two options. You're going to pick one. Ready. Front or back? (laughs) Front. Open or closed? Closed. Day or night? Night. Sink or swim? Swim. Fly or drive? Fly, girl. Golden Girls or Sex in the City? Oh, fuck you. Oh, my impulse says Golden Girls. Miranda or Charlotte? Ooh. Charlotte. Miranda. Samantha or Carrie? Samantha. Duh. Jack or Will? Oh, Jack. Arya or Sansa? Aria. Good. I was like, there's only one answer. And finally, Billy Porter or MJ Rodriguez? Oh, you're a bitch. Uh, unfortunately, I got to go MJ because we got we to gotta stay sisterly strong. There you go. I worked with Billy Porter. He's a great guy. He, he's a lot of fun. I worked on the revival of Angels in America with him. Oh, um, my God. So he's, yeah, he's, he's an incredible person. We're going to play uh, another little game. Um, it's called Jay's Ultimate Playlist. 
Music is universal. It brings people together and helps give a little insight on a person. In this game, we are going to create a playlist of nine songs that are the soundtrack of your life. So I'm going to give you a prompt, and you are going to pick the song that fits it. Okay. All right. Number one, a song from your childhood. Um, Say My Name by Destiny's Child. A song from your favorite artist. Uh, Good Days by SZA. A song from college. Oh, from college. Um, from college? She's a woman from Kiss of the Spider Woman. A song that you listen to when you're down. Oh. Um. Oh, oh, oh. It would have to be. Uh, it's a song by Eloise. She's a, I think she's British. It's called something about the moon. I can't remember what it's called right now, but it, it's that song. I love that song. Song from quarantine. Song from quarantine. It would have to be the song that I made with Gigi Sokolov um, called Don't Hit My Line. I love that song. A song that makes you feel at home. Uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. A song that reminds you of love. It's called Stuttering or Excuse Me by Jasmine Sullivan. A song from your favorite movie. Oh my God. Um, Cat Stevens, Sea of Love from Juno. And the song that made you who you are. I don't know if I've heard it yet. Oh, all right. I'm here for that answer. I like it. <laughs> All right, we're, we're just keeping on with the games. It is the Cameo Game Show. If you're not familiar with the website Cameo, you can book a celebrity to record a message for you or a loved one for a small price. But each celebrity has a different cost. In this game, you have to guess who costs more. And we're going to do the music edition. Okay. All right, so hopefully you know most of these people. If not, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Um, first off, Peppermint or Rebecca Black? Oh, Rebecca Black's got to cost more. Yes. Peppermint is $99. Rebecca Black, $500. Wow. My God. You need so much money from this. Next up, Neo or Mario? Oh, shit. Um, hmm. I'm going to say Neo costs more. Correct. $325. Mario is $250. $325 for, for a hello from Neo? <laughs> All right, next up, Shaka Khan or Dion Warwick? <laughs> That's actually really hard because Dion Warwick is such a diva that, like, I want to be like, she's obviously going to up her price, but, like, it's Shaka Khan. I'm going to say Shaka. You're correct. $650 for Shaka Khan, $350 for Dion Warwick. I know Next my. Up. I have expensive taste. I'm really good at this. <laughs> Next up, Boy George or Melissa Etheridge? Boy George. Yep, Boy I George is three. Etheridge. Oh no, Boy George is more expensive. Three hundred. Melissa Etheridge, two fifty. So close though, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Up your price, bro. Next up is Lance Bass or Joey Fatone. Lance Bass. Yep, two ninety nine. Joey is two forty nine. Um. John Cameron Mitchell or Big Frida? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say Big Frida. 
It is big Frida, two twenty five. John Cameron Mitchell, only hundred bucks. I, I just like think that John Cameron get Mitchell it. Like, for the community, so I feel like his price wouldn't be too high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like big Frida don't care. She's trying to bounce the ass and make money. And finally, how much can you get a cameo from fellow Glam nominee Novazar for? Um, Queen of the Universe star. Sixty dollars, hundred dollars, twenty-five bucks. Oh shit! It's a deal. Go you go support Novazar. I'm gonna message her right now and be like, "Can you up your cameo price, please, girl?" We're going to go back into theater a little bit and talk about it. What is missing in the theater scene today? Trans people, Black people, queer people. Anything that's not a hot white cis person. Um, you know, I was talking about this with Michael Riedel. And I don't know how much of it he'll use. But I talked about how the rubric for excellence is missing. Everyone wants to produce or see things on Broadway that either fills a quota so that they don't feel bad about it or that, you know, masturbatory sense of like, well, I know it's great and I want to watch it. So I'm going to put it there as opposed to putting their money behind excellence, excellent cast, excellent stories, excellent productions. If it's excellent, it won't fail. But that rubric for excellence, I feel is kind of not there right now. So whose stories are missing? How do we find them? And how do we make sure they're produced by the right people? I mean, I feel like it's like that moment in and just like that, where Charlotte realizes that she don't got no black friends. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a black friend, maybe get a trans friend, maybe nurture those relationships, look out for things like the National Queer Theater and try and connect with some of these young writers and, and accept that like someone discovered August Wilson Someone, you know what I mean, has worked with Lynn Nottage before anybody knew who Lynn Nottage was or right. Billy Porter, or, I mean, look at Stephen Canales after working with Ryan Murphy. Sure. At the end of the day, like, if you can find the, the strength of creativity and the spark of imagination and youth, foster that, mentor that, give it space to grow, we will find these stories. The stories will be there. But people that don't really want to do that because they don't see themselves in some of these stories. But false. I mean, they're here for many people. How can the industry improve in the age of COVID? Fucking lower those prices, man. Lower the prices, make it more accessible. And I don't know, like, I think all the testing is great. The mask stuff is great. Um, but for me, it's all about the money hungry aspect of all of this. Yeah. People are, people are struggling. We need more outside theater. We need more things for people who just maybe haven't had access to certain things. I think that that's some solutions. You have a dream role. I have many. The Witch and Into the Woods. Uh, I really want to play Mrs. Lovett. Um, many things. There's many things. I really want to play Hedwig and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you those three. All right, all right. If there was a jukebox musical about you using another pop star's songbook, who would it be and what would it be called? Let me think on this.
anyone in the world. I feel like it's gotta, I mean, it's got it's gotta be SZA again. That's my girl. It can't right. not it can't not be. It would probably a- be called like I don't know. The sad black girl musical. Here we go. Straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, no mystery. <laughs> we are going to play a little game of tea time. You are going to spill some tea on your favorite friends, sisters, colleagues, people you share, share the stage with, took a photo with, people you love, people you hate. I don't know. We're going to find out. You ready? Okay. All right. First up, one of my dear friends, Jim Silvestri. Oh, my God. Tea on Jim. Tea on Jim is that Jim must be a really good secret holder. Because, <laughs> like, the fact that, A, Jim holds me in such high regard, and I didn't really understand that, good secret holder. Um, and, B, because, like, how did you not tell me about this fundraiser situation? Like, he is, I feel like you can go to him and tell him something, and his lips will be sealed. And that's why he and I get along so well because, like, if if people knew the things we talk about, we would be canceled. <laughs> um, we've joked that we're just going to find a venue to post, uh, put both of us up, and we were just going to have our Facebook chats like in person. Oh, dangerous. oh, dangerous! All right, next up, Clarice Dubois. Clarice Dubois, the tea about Clarice is she was so difficult to work with in college. Oh (laughs) my God. A sweetie wanted to get things right, but very combative in the rehearsal room when she was in college. I don't think that that's anything reflective about where she's at in her career now or who she is now, but baby, in college, I was like, damn girl, just do what the fuck I'm asking you to do. That's tea, that's tea, that's piping hot tea. Someone you may have known from your college years who is is back and forth from Dragon Theater, Black Widow. Oh, wow. Um, I haven't heard that name in a minute. Tion Black Widow is Black Widow was the first person to let me wear a shoe that cost over $250. Ooh, how did that feel? I felt glamorous and I really didn't want to give them back, but I did. But I did. Very kind of you. Next up, she is your Miss Rock Bar, Chola Spears. Okay, one of the funniest bitches I've ever met in my entire life. And I love a drag queen who doesn't live for the glamour and will allow herself to be a part of the joke and will let you in on the fact that she knows the joke. She's so funny. She's so sweet. I met her at the fundraiser. um, And I think that she's a perfect and wonderful Miss Rock Bar. She's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful for that position. Another one from the fundraiser, Miss Aria Derchi. Aria, I adore as well. Aria, Tian Aria. Tian Aria is that her feet are a little bigger than mine, but we have the same shoe. And she had to purchase that same shoe two or three times because she continued to break it. But me, as a dainty small woman, I've never broken the shoe in my life. <laughs> That's good team. That's good team. All right, next up, they're a duo that's taken over the city, the Dragon Sisters. Oh, T on the Dragon Sisters is that though they are a bombastic and entertaining duo, 
they have heart and honor the legacy that they're walking in as black and brown queer and trans individuals so incredibly i saw them at i think it was i think they have a show in industry right now and the way that they closed the show was so powerful and the reason i think that that's tea is because i don't think that a lot of people realize that about them and i just say run to see them if you have the chance to and go in there with an open mind because they're gonna blow your mind Next up is someone who is bringing queer country music to life, Paisley Fields. Ah, Paisley! Um, T on Paisley is that Paisley. I've known Paisley for a long time. T on Paisley is when they used to play at Uncle Charlie's. It would always be difficult to get Paisley to do theater songs. Because Paisley's whole rep was very pop heavy, very country heavy. So people would go up there like wanting to sing theater songs. And sometimes Paisley would be like, ah, oh, here we go. I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> like going to know this one. Next up, another Glam Award uh, nominee, Vegas Valentine. Vegas is one of the best male performers in nightlife but he will ask you a thousand times right before he goes on stage if everything is perfect and he'll rehearse everything to a T before he does it. Fair. Nice. Next up, we have the one and only Jada Valenciaga. <laughs> See on Jada is that bitch be stressed. The bitch be stressed. She be stressed. She be sweating. Um, and she wants to... The bitch will work you to the bone. She'll be like, so... We're going to do this two-hour block that is about six months ahead from now, but I'm going to start sending you spreadsheets. I'm going to start sending you information about it, and I'm going to need you to have 28 rehearsals before this two-hour block. The bitch is one of the hardest working people in nightlife. I kid you not. Next up, Lance Horn. Uh, Tea about Lance Horn is, I be getting wild text messages from Lance Horn. Lance be out in these streets. Don't let him fool you. Lance be out in these streets. Lance knows everybody in theater. Um, and honestly, like, real tea about Lance is he is a uh, person who will really make home and space for your talent. If he sees it in you and you guys vibrate, he will give you every opportunity to continue to display your talent. And I owe Lance so much for making sure that I have a relationship to Frankie and that I have a relationship to tons of other venues just from having shown up to work with him. And he really holds space for me all the time. He's wonderful. Incredible. And finally, we got to wrap it up with Miss Sissy Walken. Tea on Miss Sissy Walken is the bitch is a Leo and she acts like it. <laughs> yes, that's true. That that's is true. the tea on Sissy Walken. That's my good sis. Uh, but yes, the bitch is a Leo. Now, now Aria Dirchi does a great Sissy Walken impersonation. Can you after knowing Sissy for as long as you have, do a Sissy Walken impersonation? Um, no, I can't. I'm not, right. I can't. I wish I could. I just, I, no. All right, that's fair, that's fair. All right, you've fallen down a rabbit hole on YouTube. What are you watching videos of? I'm watching, uh, Trixie and Katya. Yeah, good stuff. What is one personal fact about yourself that your fans wouldn't know? That I have a security blanket from when I was a child to this day. 
How cute. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally had it since I was like two or three years old. If you could eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Bitch, it would be a medium rare steak cooked with butter and thyme, baked mac and cheese, and a Caesar salad. Love it. So I have my previous guests ask my current guests a question, and this is a question from Obscura. What is the one venue that is your number one dream to perform at? Oh. Um. Probably. I just kind of already performed there, so I feel like that doesn't count. I'll say Radio City. Good, good, good answer. I like that. Now it's your turn to ask my next guest a question. Mm-hmm. Who is it? Can it? Be about well, you don't get to know. It can be about anything you want. Oh, it can be about anything I want. Mm-hmm. Um, do you regret how you lost your virginity? <laughs> All right, we'll ask that question. We here at Block Talk love to try to expand the community. Who would you like to hear do an interview? Oh, if you could get my girl. Uh, Jupiter Gray or Heather Hills. They're both black trans rappers. Um, And they are both immensely talented. Jupiter just dropped some music. Um, And Heather is a featured artist and she's in Brooklyn now. She's out of Asbury. Um, Or maybe my friend Ryan Ortega, who is uh, a wonderful Asian man who's a producer and an artist in New York City. He's going to be my co-host for the Fire Island gig. Um, oh, yeah. So I got this Fire Island thing yeah. on Fridays coming up over the summer. We're working on it. So I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Um, and he's going to be like my co-host person, my point person, if you will. Nice. Well, where can we find you on social media, Venmo, and any projects you want to plug? You can find me at MX, as in mix, J-A-E, as in J-W-B. So MXJEWB. Amazing. Well, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to get to be here with you. A huge thanks to Jay for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at thebinnow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. 